In Parashas B'Shalach, one of the events we told about is the birth of Binyamin. Binyamin, the youngest of the Shvatim, was born after all the other brothers. Already when, when Yaakov and his family went back in Eretz Yisrael. Now even though we consider Binyamin as one of the Shvatim, an equal among the brothers, but you're going to see there were three big differences between Binyamin and his brothers. And all these were very significant in developing the unique place that Binyamin had. And later on that his shavit, shavit Binyamin had in Kalis. The first difference between Binyamin and his brothers, probably the most well known, is that even though all the other brothers participated to some degree in the sale of Yosef, and for that they were all liable to be punished, Binyamin had no part in it. Binyamin wasn't even there. And therefore, as we know, that centuries later, when Hashem wanted to absolve so to speak, Klai Yisrael, of the sin of the selling of Yosef. And therefore, he brought about the terrible tragedy of the deaths of the Asara Herugi Malchus, the ten great Tanoim, who were murdered by the Romans. There were only ten, because there were only ten brothers who needed Kapara for their involvement in the selling of Yosef. Yosef himself obviously wasn't a part of that, he was the victim. And the only other brother not involved was Binyamin. So the first factor which sets Binyamin apart from the other brothers was the fact that they were guilty of selling Yosef. They were guilty of the jealousy and the hatred which led to the sale of Yosef. And that didn't affect Binyamin. Yosef was his closest brother and there was never any animosity between them. The second point, which distinguishes Binyamin from the other brothers, is what we read at the beginning of this week's parish of Ayishlech, when it talks about the encounter between Yaakov and Esau. And the Apostle tells us that when Yaakov sees Esau, so he runs up to him and he bows down to him seven times. And following his lead, the Apostle says that the sons of the Shvachos and the Shvachos also bowed down to Esau. And after that, Leah and her sons bowed down to Esau. And after that, Rachel and Yosef bowed down to Esau too. And therefore we find that Yaakov and his entire family have bowed down to Esau. The only one we don't find bowing down to Esau, because he wasn't yet born at the time, was Shevet Binyamin. Now this is significant. This is significant because to some extent, Yaakov's bowing to Esau was, to some degree, an acceptance of Esau's superiority. It's the slave that bows to the master, not the other way around. And whatever the justification or the rationalization of Yaakov may have been, but Lemaise Chazal already point out that because Yaakov accepted Esau as a master over him, that's why Esau had so many kings before Yaakov was married to any. 
because Yaakov to some extent had given that mastery to Esav. And if that's the case, the rest of the Shvatim, who had also bowed down to Esav, had also shown subservience to Esav in some form. And as I said previously, the only one who hadn't accepted the dominion of Esav over himself was Binyamin. The Shlach Kodesh says an amazing idea. He says when it came to Purim, that's why it was so important to Homon that Mordechai should bow down to him. Homon was a great-grandchild of Esav, of Amalek, and Mordechai, as we know, came from Shevet Binyamin. And therefore, Homon knew that there was a certain element in Klai Yisrael who had never accepted, so to speak, the had never submitted themselves, had never s- accepted the rulership, the authority of Esav over them. And that was Shevet Binyamin. And Homan felt if he could get Mordechai to bow down to him, then Klai Yisrael have completely accepted submission to Esav that would give Esav a certain superiority over them. And Mordechai also understood this. And that's why Kamot made to the point of a serious nefesh, Mordechai was not prepared to bow to Esav. He wasn't going to participate in accepting the authority, the power of Esav over Shevet Binyamin. The Shlot takes us a step further. He quotes a Kabbalah Sefer called the Tadas Yaakov and he says that we know that there is different Midas HaKadosh Baruch Hu uses in running the world. One of those Midas is what we call the Midas of Netzach. Netzach means victory. And the Midas of Netzach is manifest when the Tzadikim are victorious. When the Rishayim concede, submit, and the Tzadikim are victorious. And on this, the Talas Yaakov writes that we know that the Midah through which the miracle of Purim came about was the Midah of Netzach. It was a demonstration of the victory of good over evil, of the domination of Tzadikim over Rishayim. And what made that nice camera come about was the fact that the Marachai was not prepared to concede to Homon. Mordechai wasn't prepared to bend to Ra, to evil. And therefore, he was given the schos to be victorious in the confrontation. We say this. When we talk about the salvation of Purim, we say, That their salvation came about through this middle of Netzach. So it was a demonstration of Hashem's victory so Hashem giving us the victory of Tadikim over Rishayim. To take this a step further, when Narizal explains the various mirrors of Hashem, and he metaphorically describes them by being represented by certain parts of a person's body, so he refers to the mirror of Netzach as the leg. And it was Dafka the leg which didn't bow, which didn't bend in submission and servitude to Esau was victorious. That's, so far this is all the quotation of the Shlan and the Talas Yaakov. And therefore we see 
that that element of Binyamin which gave him the ability to overcome Haman, to overcome the descendant of Asaph, was the fact that Binyamin had never bowed down to Asaph. He had never accepted Asaph's authority. And then we come to a third point as well, a third point in which Binyamin is different to the other brothers. This one needs a little more explanation. The Pasuk says, in the end of Ashes Vayetze, when Lavan chases after Yaakov, having heard that Yaakov's left, and they meet and they make a covenant together by Galaid, so then the Pasuk tells us that Vayash came Lavan Baboiker, Lavan wakes up early the next morning, Vayanashek Levan Echobanov of Noisov, he kisses his sons, that means his grandsons, the Shvatim, his daughters, those were the Imois, Vayavarechesim, and he gives them a blessing. And after that, Lovin returns to his place. And we may wonder, why is there something important for the Torah to tell us? That Lovin blessed and kissed his children. It seems to be irrelevant in the bigger picture. And we need to understand that if the Torah tells us to us, there's something important that we need to learn from it. And in this particular situation, there was something very negative, something very injurious to Klai Yisrael. The fact that they had been kissed and they had been blessed by Lavan. Baz Hashem will soon explain what that is. But that detriment that they suffered by being blessed by Lavan, Benjamin was spared from for the same reason. He hadn't yet been born. He hadn't yet been born, and therefore he never got the blessing of Lavan or his kiss. And therefore we see three things which Binyamin, as a son of Yaakov, is different to the other brothers. He doesn't participate in the sale of Yosef in any way. He never bowed down to Asa. And he never got blessed by Lavan. Rabbi Yisrael, let us learn the Rambam together. The Rambam, the very first Rambam, Perak Aleph, Alocha Aleph of Hilchus Melachim. And the Rambam writes, Shlosha mitzvahs nistava Yisrael v'chisasan la'aretz. There were three mitzvahs which the Jewish people collectively were instructed to fulfill when they came into Eretz Yisrael. They were, number one, to appoint a king. Number two, to destroy Amalek, and number three, to build the base of Megdash, in that order. To appoint a king, to wage war against Amalek, and to build the base of Megdash. We know the first Jewish king was King Shaul. King Shaul was from the children of Binyamin. And even though the Malchus, the kingship, had been promised to Yehuda, as we know David HaMelech and his descendants, who were the kings, were from Yehuda, but nevertheless, the first candidate, HaKadosh Baruch Hu chose to ascend the throne of the Jewish people, was King Shaul, the descendant of Binyamin. And why was that the case? Why wasn't the first king chosen from Yehuda as well? 
And the answer is because specifically Shevet Binyamin was most capable of fulfilling the duties of the king as the first king of the Jewish people. Let's understand why. What is it that makes somebody worthy of being the king? So here too, the Rambam instructs us, in the midst of appointing a king, he says, in Sefer HaMitzvah, we're instructed to appoint a king over us and his job as a king is going to be He is going to draw Klai Yisrael together. He is going to unite the Jewish people and he's going to lead us. The first factor in establishing a monarchy, in choosing a king, is that the king unites the nation. They rally behind him. They connected to each other through a common allegiance to the throne. And therefore, for a king to be a successful king, it needs to be that the people unite to choose him as a king, as we find the Jewish people did. They all send representatives to Shmuel and Navi to choose a king. They all ratified the decision. They all accepted Shmuel as a king. So the first requirement of a king is somebody who is able to unite Klal Yisrael. Even though Yosef in his youth foresaw himself becoming a king, he foresaw the other brothers bowing down to him, but at that stage the, the scene wasn't yet set. The brothers weren't yet ready to accept Yosef. They didn't unite under him. If anything, they united against him. And that sin, the sin of selling Yosef, really was the underlying beginning, the root cause of the Silas Chinam, which later blossomed and engulfed the Jewish people at the time of the second Beis HaMikdash. It's not for nothing that the generation that Hashem chose to avenge the selling of Yosef. The generation that was picked in which the ten Harugimachos would die was the generation of the, of the Khurban of the second Beis HaMikdash. And the reason is because the Khurban of the second Beis HaMikdash as we know came about through Sinas That was the unfortunate consequence of the initial seed which had been planted by the sale of Yosef. That was when the Silas Chinam, which had germinated then, had come forward in a way which had engulfed and destroyed Klal Yisrael. And therefore that was the time, the generation where Hashem saw fit, so to speak, to avenge that, that, that original act of selling Yosef and to bring the tragic deaths to the ten tzaddikim who died, to Mechaper for that. And therefore, Binyamin, the one brother not responsible for Sinas Chinam, the one brother who still maintained a close relationship with all his brothers, would be the natural choice to be the king. 
He had the ability to unite everybody. The second mitzvah that the Jewish people were mitzvah were instructed was to destroy a malik. And once again, this became the mitzvah instructed specifically to King Shaul. It was his opportunity to destroy a malik. And as the king of Binyamin, he was uniquely suited for the job because his shevet had never humbled themselves to Esau. His shevet had never bowed. They were more able, therefore, to confront and defeat Esau. That's why specifically the king of Binyamin was given that opportunity. Unfortunately, as we know, Shaul lost his chance and as a result lost his kingship. But the opportunity presented to him was uniquely to him as the leader of Shevet Binyamin. And lastly, the third of the three mitzvahs which Kaya Shul and Mitzvah, which should have been the job of the king, and it should have been the job of the first king, had he completed the mitzvahs of the mitzvah he was given of destroying Amalek, is to build the base of Mikdash. Now let's understand something. We saw the third way where Binyamin wasn't the same as his brothers was that he wasn't blessed by Laban. What's so dangerous about the blessing of Laban? What's so sinister about it? I want to share with you a beautiful idea. Once a year, every Jew in Eretz Yisrael was instructed to come to the Beis HaMikdash and to give thanks. To give thanks to Hashem for bringing him to Eretz Yisrael, for allowing him to visit the Beis HaMikdash, for allowing him to grow fruit and bring it as Bikurim. And the Torah says the point of the mitzvah of Bikurim is to bring the first of your fruit and the Torah doesn't just leave it up to us to choose what we want to say. The Torah gives us the text of the, the, of the speech we're going to make when we bring the Bikurim. And that speech begins, Arami Oyved Ovi. The Aramean, the Arami, destroyed my father. That's talking about Lavan. Lavan destroyed Yaakov. And then Yaakov went down to Mitzrayim and he was enslaved there. And Hashem took us out with great miracles and he took us to the desert and he brought us there to Israel. And he gave us this land and now we come to thank him. And many wonder, why are we starting the story from Lavan? Why not start the story from Mitzrayim? That's the logical place where Klai Yisrael began. We were enslaved in Egypt and Hashem took us out and He brought us to Eretz Yisrael. If one wants to go back to the very, very beginnings, go back to Abraham Avinu. Why start with Lovan and Yaakov? It's a good question. Let's ask a second question. And this is also something that the Mephashim discussed. Why is Arami Oyved Ovi? Lovan destroyed Yaakov. He didn't. He may have attempted to, 
In what way did Lavan destroy Yaakov? So I want to share with you a chazal I once heard from Mary Barabi Ramosha Shapira, Sikhranibracha, on a Pasuk in Yeshaya. Yeshaya foretells the Kibbutz Gaudius, the ingathering of the exiles of the future. And Yeshaya says that on that day, on that great day that we're looking forward to, when Hashem will gather in all the exiles of Kai Yisrael from all four corners of the globe, and it will be on that day, Hashem will blow on the shofar, the shofar of Bashiach we're waiting to hear. And those who lost in the land of Ashur, and those who scattered in the land of Mitzrayim will return. What's the difference between those who lost in Ashur and those who scattered in Mitzrayim? And Chazal say that Ashur, those refer to the nations who try to befriend the Jews, who try to be good to the Jews. And Mitzrayim, there are those nations who came to oppress the Jews, to make them suffer, to persecute them. We see that in the world. In those places where Jews are treated as equals, are befriended, and in those places where Jews are oppressed, are persecuted. But what happens in these two places? In Asher there are Oivdim. In Mitzrayim there are Nidachim. A nidach, somebody who's scattered, that's the result of persecution. People run away. They hide. They disperse. And therefore they are the nidachim be'eretz mitzrayim. They are those who dispersed, who scattered in the countries of persecution. And what about those who are in the lands of Asher? Those who live in the lands which were good to the Jewish people? treated them as equals, that causes oivdim. They get lost. Jews in places like that assimilate. They lose their identity as Jews. In Asher they are oivdim. In Mitzrayim they are nidachim. And the shofar of Mashiach, the Novi tells us, will bring back both. The wake-up call of the shofar will awaken the Jews who lost in the land of Asher and will also gather together the Jews who scattered through the lands of Mitzrayim. So we see from this Chazal, Asher is Oivdim. It's causing Kla Yisrael to get lost by their connection to their host nation. Arami Oived Ovi. Lavan wanted Yaakov to get lost. Lavan wanted to convince Yaakov's children to 
accept the culture, maybe the values of, of, of himself, of Haran. Where do we see this? This was the blessing he gave his children. Laban presented himself as a big tzaddik. Not only that, he was glad to say time and again, Hashem appeared to me last night. He said, Kindalach, I'm a Novi. I saw Hashem last night. I'm going to give you a bracha. You should be successful in life. I'm going to bench you. You should have Hatzlacha in whatever you do. And that way, whenever you do have Hatzlacha, remember the Zayd Lovan. This is all my bracha. And I don't know what Lovan looked like, but I would imagine with his flowing white beard, he gives each of his children a long bracha, a big kiss. He said, don't worry. You're going to be successful. Take it from me. It's the bracha from Sabah How destructive was that? That people, the Shvati might later attribute whatever Hatzlocha they had. To think maybe these are due to the brachas of Lovan. How much could it confuse Yaakov's children, Lovan's grandchildren. When they think that Lovan gave us such beautiful brachas, maybe that's why we're getting Hatzlach. And Lovan was good at this method. He had already employed it years earlier. When Lovan's sister Rivka was being taken to marry Yitzchak, Lovan doesn't lose the opportunity to give her brachas too. My sister, you're going to become tens of thousands. And remember, Rivka, this is all thanks to my brachos. There's a tremendous danger when we think our brachos come about because of the going. Whether it's in the spiritual sense, if we'll attribute it to the brachos of Lavan, or in the more physical sense, when we attribute our success to the host nation which has been good to us, to the society we're living in, that's the start of becoming Oyved, of getting lost. And the antithesis of that is the Beis HaMikdash. The Beis HaMikdash, as we know, is the conjuring of bracha which comes from Hashem. Not through anything else. Not through a connection to any other religion. Not through the medium of any other person. And that's why when we bring the Bikurim to the base of Megdosh, and we went to th- want to thank Hashem for His Bracha, then we say this has nothing to do with the Zayd Lovan. Arami Oived Avi. The Brachas He gave tried to destroy us. That's not where we attribute our success to. That's the start of where we, where we begin our, our, our dissertation on thanking Hashem for His bracha. Because we realize that our bracha comes from Hashem alone. The blessings of love and if anything were destructive to us. Binyamin never faced that challenge. If Binyamin gets bracha, it's only from Hashem.
Benjamin never got blanched by Lavan. And that's why, to build the base of Mikdash should have also been the function of the first king, had he merited to do so. But what we do know is that the building of the base of Mikdash took place in the Chalik of Binyamin. That's the only territory where Bracha would be seen as being only from Hashem. There would be no mistake of thinking that any Lovans had participated in the bracha that Klai Yisrael get. And I want to finish with one last idea. Moshe Rabbeinu's bracha to Shevet Binyamin. He says, Binyamin Amar, Yedid Hashem, the Shevet who is beloved by Hashem, Yishkon Lovetacholov, Hashem will rest on him, Lovetach, securely. Choyfefarov Kolayom, hovers above him the whole day, Uvenk Seifov Shachin, and rests between his shoulders. And if you look at this pasuk, it seems to be either repetitive or contradictory. We begin by describing the Shechina as being Shachin, resting. Something we can see here on earth. Something which we can behold in the base of Mikdash. And then we say it's chayfef. It's hovering above. And then we come back in the conclusion of the Pasuk of Vayn of Shachay. It comes back and rests again. What's the Pasuk referring to? What are these three stages? The Sifri brings, Ramban quotes it. That the Ma'ila of Shevet Binyamin is that not one, but all three Beis HaMikdashas will be built in his territory, in his Nachalah. And therefore, the three expressions are referring to the three Beis HaMikdashas. The first one, Hashem is Shaykhen Lavetach Rests on him Lavetach in confidence. That refers to the first base of Mikdash, where the Shekhinah was tangible, was visible. It was Shochein, Loshen Shekhinah. It resided here. And why Lovetach? In confidence. Because in the Shavit of Binyamin, they hadn't bowed to anything else. And therefore they were Zaychah to host the Shekhinah. And to bow to the Shekhinah. And as long as Klai Yisrael bowed to the Shekhinah, they had the first place of Mikdash. We know the primary sin which brought us destruction was Avodah Zarah. When they began to bow to other things. Then they lost that first minor that Binyamin had. The first minor that they were meant, the Klai Yisrael collectively were meant to have. Don't bow to anything else. Binyamin, who had never bowed to another person, had never subjugated himself to Esau, he deserved to have the base of Mikdash, where only Hashem was, was being served. And the second expression, refers to the second base of Mikdash. There, there wasn't a manifestation of the Shekhinah. It hovered above. It didn't make its presence felt here in, in the, on earth. We knew it was above us, the Khaifif Olaf Karayam. 
And what was the schos that Binyamin had, that he was going to be the host to the second Beisam Mikdash? The morale says that the schos of the second Beisam Mikdash was the achdus of Klal Yisrael. And as long as Klal Yisrael were united, they deserved to have a Beisam Mikdash, to have a communal point of Avedus Hashem. And if that's the case, then no one deserved it more than Shevet Binyamin. Because they were the one Shevet who wasn't involved in this, uh, the hatred between the brothers, in the selling of Yosef. And we know that third base of Mingdash lasted until it was destroyed by Sinas And then eventually we come to the last, and the third base of Mingdash we hope to see soon. And that the Pasuk says, Hashem will rest again. Shachain, he will rest here. The Shechina will be manifest in the third base of Mingdash will again merit all the miracles that there were in the time of the first Beis HaMikdash. That is what Bank Seifov. Between his shoulders, what in the Torah is given this metaphor, this description of being between the shoulders? If we look in Parashas Tetzaveh, when it talks about the garments of the Kohen Gadol, the Big Day Kahuna, so it talks about the ephod and the two stones which the Kohen Godel wore on both of his shoulders. And it says, on those two stones you should inscribe the names of six Shvatim on the one stone and six Shvatim on the other stone. And they're going to be a source of bracha for Klal Yisrael. The names of Klal Yisrael described of the stones, so to speak, they become a conduit of bracha for the Jewish people. That's going to be the primary factor of the third base of Mikdash. It's bank safe of. It's between Klal Yisrael. It's going to be the source of bracha and parallel bracha which there will be when the third base of Mikdash is built. And if there's going to be a choice of in whose nachalo, in whose portion, in whose inheritance should the third base of Mikdash be built, which shevet most deserves that their Nachalo should be a source of bracha, it's going to be Shevet Binyamin. Because Shevet Binyamin has nothing else to attribute their bracha to besides Hashem. They never got the dubious blessings of your loved one. They can see clearly whatever bracha they have comes from Hashem. And that's the nature of the third base of To be a source of bracha, unparalleled bracha that there's never been before. And that too will be in the Chalik of Binyamin. These are three, the Binyamin's three attributes which set him apart from his brothers. He had never bowed to anything besides Hashem. He had never received bracha from anything besides Hashem. And he wasn't involved in the sinas chinam of the brothers. That entitles him to the unique praise that Moshe blesses him with. Yedid Hashem. The beloved of Hashem. And therefore, for each of these three reasons, he zaykhed to another one of the three base amigdashes being built in his portion. That's the Maila we talk about, which the first king of Binyamin was meant to achieve. 
It's something which is paralleled by Mordechai. A tzaddik at the end of the time of Tanakh also from Binyamin. He was the one who was able to defeat Haman and wage war against the nation of Amalek. He was also the one to unite Klai Yisrael. He was Dairesh Toiv La'amoy, like the Pasuk says in the Megillah. He looked to do good to his people. And he was one of the Anshak Nesla Gedoyle, who inaugurated the second base of Megdash. The mitzvahs of Klai Yisrael really centered in Shevet Binyamin because they were the ones who had the special koichas to achieve all three.